All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. afternoon everybody thank you for joining us here on another episode of dropping the gloves thank you for joining us it's a beautiful may afternoon it's a little chilly here in traverse city but it's it's okay it's okay it's it's a weird start to the show everybody um and i'll tell you why we usually have a very positive demeanor on this show and i will be i'll be frank the last few days tim's been off um he's been a little removed distant he hasn't been texting me when i text him i have to chase him down he is um i don't know if he's wallowing in his sorrows or if he's just ignoring me or what he's doing he's doing some soul searching there's been no conversation up until this podcast it's been just nothing so, Tim, how are you? Because even up until this point, you still are very quiet. How's it going? I'm good. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm good. I'm excited to start talking about. So are you uh, holding back tears? <laughs> <clears throat> fine, fine. It's fine. The offseason, uh, where players are going to be traded, where guys are going to sign, which coaches keep their jobs. It's a lot of fun. This is an exciting time of year to talk about this, you know, what's happening this summer. So let's get into it. Well, it, if you want to go that route, we can. We did. This is not on the agenda. But if you want to just recap, I'm going to list off the names of the Bruins. Are they going to be there next year or not? Nick Wait, Foligno. Hold on. Before you do, do you know that we have a $4.5 million cap penalty for the Bergeron and Krejci deals that kick oh, in for this year? Dead money? Dead money. $4.5 million. That's a good player right there that we're costing ourselves. We went Wait. all in. Not to mention the picks that we gave up at the deadline. Two first rounders and a bunch of second and thirds. So I don't know but what the worst part of it is. In all fairness, you get to keep Hampus Lindholm. You get to keep Tyler Bertuzzi. So maybe keep Tyler Bertuzzi. We'll see how this offseason goes. But I, I wouldn't say those waste of first round picks. But what's with this cap penalty? How does I've never heard of this. Yeah, I just saw it. Um, let me pull it back up. It's the $4.5 million bonus carryover overage for the next season made up because Bonuses. Bergeron. Okay. 2.5 million for 10 games played. Krejci, $2 million for games played and making the playoffs. So it's not a penalty. It's bonuses that carry over, that put them over the cap threshold. Makes sense. But let's go back to the original question. I'm going to list off all of the Bruins UFAs. You tell me if they're going to sign 
or not? Nick Felino. No. Bergeron. No. Bertuzzi. Mm. Early word is that he's not going to come back, but I th- I hope he does. I'll say yes. For Bertuzzi or Bergeron? Bert- Bertuzzi. Okay. Thomas Nozick. Yes. Hathaway? No. David Krejci? No. Dmitry Orlov? No. Connor Clifton? Yes. UFA's Trent Frederick? No. Jeremy Swayman, friend of the show. Yes. Okay. I didn't keep track, but interesting. <laughs> it's going to be a different team next year. I think Orlov's gone. He's 31, I think. This is his last big payday. He's going to want it. He's going to try to get number one money somewhere. Someone's going to overpay him. I don't think it's not. He's not like eight, nine million dollars, but he's going to shoot for probably six. And I think I think he'll get it. He's he's very good. And someone who's I don't I don't know how many better UFA defensemen will be on the market this summer. So he ain't getting he ain't getting six. He's a 31 year old defenseman whose career high in points is 33 or 35. He 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 ain't getting six. He's gonna get three and a half or four. Let's just pump the brakes. You're you're still wearing your rose-colored glasses of the Bruins. He played for the Bruins in the playoffs. He got eight assists in seven games. He's worth eleven million dollars. It's like, let's just take it easy. He's a good defenseman, very good. He's worth four. He's 31. Let's not forget that. He's not 25. Okay. You think people are are they sick of hearing about the Bruins? I am. You're the one who brought it up. I All certainly right. did not. Moving on. The Bruins were the overwhelming favorites coming into this playoffs. <laughs> they were the best team in NHL history. People had them earmarked uh. for the Stanley Cup. They said it's going to be the Bruins versus whoever comes out of the West. They had to basically implode for some other team to come out of the East. On the other side of that coin are underdogs. Teams that maybe shouldn't have won. Teams that should have been bounced early. Teams that had no business being here. Teams that struggled in the regular season and snuck into the playoffs. Teams like the Seattle Kraken. Teams like the Florida Panthers. Well, don't look now. These two teams are doing what the Boston Bruins could never do. Make the second round. And winning and succeeding in the second round where most pundits and people think they have no business being here. Everybody and their brother thought the Panthers were going to lose to the Boston Bruins. Most people thought the Seattle Kraken were going to get waxed by the Colorado Avalanche, let alone beating them in seven games and moving on to the second round for the first playoff win in franchise history. These two upsets are, I want to say, top 10 all-time in NHL history. It's a very rare thing to see these types of teams succeed on the stage that they did it. So how are they going to fare in the second round? You see all the picks. Oh, they got by the Bruins. We get the best team beaten out. Now we got to face the second best team. The Toronto Maple Leafs, the Florida Panthers are coming in. No rest coming off that emotional high of game seven, waxing the Boston Bruins who just did not show up, ending the career of Patrice Bergeron in unceremonious fashion, kicking David Krejci back to the Czech Republic where he belongs, just making the whole team in town look like an absolute joke. They fly to Toronto. They should have no business even being in this game. What happens? They come out and they play fantastic. They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-2. to two. Captain America, not Joe Pavelski anymore, maybe. We're going to hold that till next in a little bit. Keith Kachuk comes out and just puts on a clinic in game one. I just Matthew, Matthew. Matthew Kachuk, excuse me, his father, Keith Kachuk, what... 
what kind of seed does that man have to produce two stud players in Brady and Matthew Kachuk? The elder statesman Matthew Kachuk is in the playoffs still with the Panthers, and he had a fantastic game. You thought it couldn't get better from the Bruins series. This guy goes out in game one, gets three assists, two primary assists. He gets nine hits, eight hits in the first period to set an NHL record. Nine hits in the game. That's a career high for him. He's plus two. He draws a penalty. When he's on the ice, his team got 17 shots for. The other team gets five shots against. That's a huge disparity in shots, chances, everything, Tim. The guy was fantastic. Were you having flashbacks to the Bruins series? He did everything, anything he wanted to do. It was incredible. The guy played lights out. Was it hard to watch? It was in a sense. And I, you know, I said this a little bit before when we were talking about our picks and I, I did pick the Leafs to win the series, but I thought really hard about the Panthers and they look really good in game one because they played the exact type of game that is like, is, is going to be a good matchup for, for Toronto. The, the energy, the disruption, the forecheck, just the relentless, the way they just get in your face in the neutral zone, the way they force turnovers, I mean, they made the Bruins look so bad. And so they could do it to Toronto too. And they did last night. And I saw a good article this morning um, on Daily Faceoff basically talking about the Leafs have no response to Matthew Kachuk's line. So your only hope, it, it, your strategy is not to shut them down, it's to outscore them. You know what I mean? Like you got to figure out a way to produce more offense then try to eliminate their offense because you don't have the right p- the tools to do it, basically, is what the article said. Which I disagree with. I feel like the Leafs do have the tools to shut down a Matthew Kachuk line. You have one of the best defensive forwards ever to lace him up in Ryan O'Reilly. That's why you got this guy. You got him to go out there and shut down Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, um, Steven Stamkos, Kucherov, O'Reilly is the guy to do that. And so why not throw him out there? And this is where I begged on Keith from last series, how his matchups were horrible. He was letting his third D-line pairing just skate out versus the Tampa Bay Lightning's first and second line. Well, it happened again. And it was self-imposed too, because you're the home team. You get the last change time after time after time. I would watch Matthew Kachuk's line with Sam Bennett and Nick Cousins waltz onto the ice. And who do I see Keith throw out there, Tim? You would think it's going to be Ryan O'Reilly, Selkie winner, John Tavares, Selkie. I don't think he's won the Selkie, but the guy's a defensive mastermind, good in the faceoff draw. Mitch Marner, who's a Selkie nominee this year. Very good. Kale Yonkrock, very responsible. Would he throw out one of those two guys? No. You, why? Because Keith's an idiot. He throws out David Camp, Zach Aston Reese, and Alexander Kerfoot. Good players. Don't get me wrong. Camp was a third-line center until they got Ryan O'Reilly. He was their shutdown guy until they got Ryan O'Reilly. But now you have Ryan O'Reilly. But no, dumb-dumb Keith decides to put out David Camp in his line versus Matthew Kachuk. What does Kachuk proceed to do? Just dices and slices them. Three assists all over the ice in the offensive zone, banging bodies, no one standing up to him. I just don't get it. I don't understand his coaching his coaching tactics whatsoever. The Panthers have one good line that I have to be worried about. That's it. Right? That's it. They have one good line and one, one defenseman who I have to focus on, Brandon Montour. You bang Montour and you make it difficult for Kachuk, Bennett, and Cousins to go 200 feet. They're a big line. You put out a speed line versus him. You put out Ryan O'Reilly, anybody, but he can't do it. All that aside, Kachuk dominated. Keith looked like an idiot. 
and it was game over from the drop of the hat. You know why? The Leafs came out. They drew two penalties right away. Could have been predicted. Florida's a little sluggish. Maybe just weren't focused still on the high of just beating the best team in NHL history in the regular season. And they beat them in seven games, even though they were down three to one in the series. And they came back and just curb stomped the Boston Bruins just in disgusting fashion at home to the point where people were leaving the stands in game seven because they were embarrassed of this Boston Bruins team. All that aside, they were a little sluggish to start. So the Toronto Maple Leafs get two power plays. And I said it in my mind as soon as I heard this. If they don't score on the first power play and the second power play, I said it both times. If they don't score here, the Panthers are going to win this game. Because there's something to be said at the start of a game. A power play can be a blessing or it can be a curse. You get your top guys out there. If they don't score, if they don't get that mojo, if they don't get that good feeling, if they go out there and get shut down twice, Tim, and it was four minutes in a matter of like five and a half, they were back to back. They didn't capitalize on either of those power plays. I said, boom, Panthers are going to win. Lo and behold, they get a goal right after that. They get another goal and it was off to the races. I know the Leafs came back and tied it up, but after that first five minute little onslaught of two power plays and they had some chances and Bobrovsky stood on his head, it was over in my mind because the Panthers built off that. They shut down one of the best power plays in the NHL. They had one of the worst penalty kills in the NHL. The Bruins were 41% against the Florida Panthers. Last season, last series, excuse me, 41% Tim. That's an insane amount. Like that's a bad PK and a very good power play. The Panthers had a bad PK during the regular season to get that early confidence to shut down the Maple Leafs who have a lethal power play. What does that do to your mentality? What do you, and I'm asking you, what do you think that does to both teams? You get these two golden nugget opportunities right away. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, basically a four minute power play. The Panthers are killing four minutes right in a row, and you can't capitalize. The crowd's out of it. What happens? Tim, tell me. Well, I mean, it adds to their confidence, the Florida Panthers, because they talked about this right after Matthew Kachuk was interviewed after Game 7, and he basically said, like, everyone thinks we're an underdog except for us. And I know that, like, everyone says that when they upset a team. It's it's locker room material. It's bulletin board material. But it's true. And so now you're in Toronto and probably the second best team in the league, or if not top five, at least. And you win up game one doing exactly what you did in, in seven games in Boston. It's the disruption. It's the the chaos. It's the frustrating their offense, frustrating their breakout. And Toronto, I don't know. I, we still haven't seen this team really. I mean, I know they won game their first series against a good team, but we haven't seen this team they're playing with fire, right? And so, like when you when you have that those close games and you you get down early, can you come? Can you keep coming back, or are you setting yourself up for failure if you have to do that three four times a series because it's not sustainable, especially against a team that's rolling right now? You know, I think people they just assume that's how the Leafs roll. I they won three overtime games in Tampa Bay last year. They got completely outplayed in five of the six games. I I don't know. I don't know what to make of this Toronto Maple Leafs team. They weren't the best team last night. They weren't. I think they played really good in the second period. Obviously, the first period they struggled. Samsonov. It was one nothing after the first. Samsonov bailed them out. It should have been three four nothing. I will concede this. Ilya Samsonov is is that guy. He's he's really good. You you called it. I said nailed no. it. 
You did. He is a very good goaltender. If he's not in net for the Leafs, this game would have been over after the first period. But all that aside, talking about playing with fire, you know, how many times can you go back to the well and come up with water? They did it luckily three times versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. Panthers are a different team than the Tampa Bay Lightning. They play a different game. Lightning are more flowy up and down the ice. They're not really too hard on the four check. They don't take it zone by zone by zone like the Florida Panthers do. The Florida, Pan- the Florida Panthers, like you mentioned, they're a frustrating team to play against. They are just, they, they don't let you get across the blue line. They play a one, two, two, which means they have one forward just hounding the puck wherever it's go. Then they have two more forward forwards that are always surrounding the puck. And then they give the defense green lights to pinch whenever they want. So they are pressure in the offensive zone. You have to be making tick, tack, toe, precise passes to get it out, or you just rim it around. That's, that's not the type of team Toronto likes to play against. Tampa Bay was more of a good matchup than the Florida Panthers are, strangely enough. But I tell you what, even Keefe said after the game, he said, they did a lot. They did to us what they did to Boston in terms of getting us stopped coming in and out of our zone and turning on those plays quickly. Before you know it, it's coming at your net. They have an amazing transition game. They don't give you any space. And they just frustrate you to death until you make a mistake. And once you make a mistake, they do a very good job of making you pay. Just like on the Verhege breakaway. Frustration, frustration. You get out of position if you're um, Jake McCabe, and the next thing you know, you have a breakaway. And the guy scores a goal. The other thing they do really well is they get shots on net. And I know that sounds simple, but like their their defense is is driving shots, driving offense from the point, not just Montour, all of them are doing it. And when they get the puck in the offensive zone, if even if it's a quick, a quick turnover, quick transition, they're firing it on net. Force a rebound, force a goalie to make a save. They're not making the, the fancy pass or trying to get like the clean one timer or anything. That was one of the things that they the Bruins just kept doing right and and the Panthers just just do that really well and so I wonder what we'll see from adjustments for Toronto in game two like what would you want to keep to make oh gosh you you have the horses that's why you bring in a Jake McCabe that's why you bring in a Luke Shen for those puck battles in front of the net and you saw it on the first goal it was a harmless shot on net it was just an innocuous rebound Jake McCabe gets out positioned out muscled by Sam Bennett basically and he just pots in a backhand empty pretty much an empty net goal and the second, same thing on the second goal. Matthew Kachuk wins a battle behind the net, gets popped out, shot on goal, and another rebound and a goal. So the Leafs have to do a better job of clearing out. I don't know if they can. Florida has a lot of good guys who are very good at getting in front of the net. They've done it the whole season long. They led the regular season in shots on goal. They led the whole regular season in rebound goals. So this is obviously something that they do on purpose. This isn't just something they picked up along the way. Toronto should have been ready for it. I know Toronto had the advantage in shots on goal, but dangerous chances, second chances, I think Florida outpaced them by far. So Toronto's got to be better clearing out, getting in a shot lane, blocking that shot, trying your best to just push those guys out of the way. What are you smiling about? I'm just, I was, I was checking Twitter last night and I saw Steve Dangle post his first um, LFR and he said, there's these reaction videos after the game. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time he said he posted the first time we had a second round LFR. And I know that's not a surprise, but something about that is very funny to me because he's been doing this for so long since basically YouTube was created. And it's the first time. I just, I just love that. Well, yeah, I saw an article. It said 18 years, 11 months and 28 days was the last time the Leafs were in the second round, almost 19 years ago. That's crazy. Matthew Nyes is yet. Matthew Nyes is twenty. Like, it's it's crazy. That's how long it's been for a team that spends to the cap 
Phil Kessel's, Dion Phaneuf's, Lupul's, all these guys who have played for them. They haven't made it to the second round. Moving on. Matthew Kachuk leads the league in points. He's got 14. Let's talk about the Leafs. Marner looked bad. I, I think he had uninspired game. Took a whiff on the Kachuk shot that led to the second goal. He he needs to be better. Nylander, most frustrating player I've ever seen. The guy is world-class talent. When he wants to, he can be the best player on the ice. Two or three shifts in a row, he's just fantastic. The third period, I thought he was lights out. Played fantastic. The first two periods, he's a space cadet. Nowhere to be found. He's very frustrating to watch. If he could just put it together for 60 minutes, he'd be a very dangerous player. But he, he can't. He's proven that he can't. So they need to be better with that. Matthew Nice, first NHL goal, pretty cool. Neat moment for him. Should have had a couple more. All that aside, what do you think for game two? The Leafs' latest stinker versus the Tampa Bay Lightning in game one got waxed 7-3. They came back, did their own shellacking, beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 7-2. Can we predict the same kind of turnaround for the Leafs? Is this just a blip on the radar? Should we be worried at all? I know last series we were just, oh, this is the best thing ever. Tampa's going to sweep them. You're not panicking, are you, Tim? I'm not panicking, but it's also not a blip on the radar. I think Florida has shown, even if it's just one game, that they can beat this team in a seven-game series. They just beat Boston, so of course they can. I do think uh, Toronto bounces back in game two, but I... I would be rethinking my pick. I think I think just watching, maybe, I don't want to overreact, but I think Florida is going to take this one. It's going to go to seven. I think those are two evenly matched teams. The thing that concerns me about Toronto is they've played seven games this postseason, right? Four games, they've given up four goals or more. Hey, you're not going to win if you give up four goals. Like, you're not. I, I saw another tweet that was like, of course they were going to lose. It was their seventh game of the postseason. Yeah, <laughs> they need to clean up a lot of stuff. You can't keep giving up four goals, especially the way Sergei Bobrovsky looked. He looked very good, like very, very good. Vasilevsky was OK. If Bob's playing like that the whole series, good luck if you're Toronto, because he was very, very that save on Nylander right near the end of the game. Cross ice kicks his toe out. That's an incredible save. Anything else on this uh, this game, Tim? No, let's talk about the other one. Speaking of Captain America, Matthew Kuchuk playing his part. The OG Captain America, the guy who got the original name, the guy who lives and breathes USA, Joe Pavelski, multi, multi-time friend of the show, former teammate of myself, coming off of a big-time concussion around when Matthew Dumba catches him with his head down driving to the net. He did not play since game one of that series. He's been out. No updates. No one knew what to expect for this series. Lo and behold, he was in a line for game one. And boy, was he. He came out, did not miss a step. Four goals for the big Joe Pavelski. You would think the Dallas Stars would use that for a victory. They get four. Eh, don't, don't, not so fast. Seattle Kraken. I think they scored four goals in five seconds. They just got all their goals in a short little time span. Then Yanni Gord picks up the overtime winner. They is it a surprise, Tim, that they win game one? Do you think? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I still have a tough trouble taking them seriously or at least giving them the credit they deserve. And maybe that's just me because Florida and, and the Kraken, like you said, you got to start giving credit to the underdog. The thing that surprised me was Ottinger letting in the goals that he let in. Five goals for Ottinger is not typical for him. So I expect a really strong bounce back from him. And I still, he's probably the main reason I would still think that Dallas will come back and win this series. 
Well, and they were very uncharacteristic goals. And I'm not sliding the Seattle Kraken, but you could tell he wasn't on his game because he was trying to angle rebounds, whether it was his pad or his blocker or his stick. And it just wasn't working. He was batting him right out into the slot. He was kicking him into bad spots where the Seattle Kraken were getting very good second chance attempts. One of them resulted in a goal. I think two of them resulted in a goal. So so I don't know what happened to him. It it was not a good game for a guy who is just steady as she goes, unflappable. It it was not as good as his best effort last night. So I think he'll play better. But I'm telling you what, Tim. I like the Seattle team. Much like Ilya Samsonov, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on these guys. The more I watch them, and I'll be frank, I didn't watch them a lot during the regular season because they're West Coast, and it was Seattle. They sucked last year. Why would I bother watching them? Pacific stinks. West Coast stunk. But they're they're a pretty good team. And the reason they're good is because all four lines play the same way. Usually when you go play a team, you 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 expect certain things from different lines. Okay, the fourth line's out. Keep your head up. They're going to just try to run you through the boards. That's all they're going to do. First line's out. Okay, we got to watch for... Toe drags, you know, cross ice passes, saucer passes, just very fancy stuff. The Seattle Kraken across the board play play the same way, whether it's the first line or the fourth line. Matty Beignets, he's finishing his check. Ty Cardi, he's finishing his check. Morgan Gecki, Schwartz, Wenberg, Yanni Gord, Sprung. All these guys seem to play the same way. Oliver Bjorkstrand, the guy can't stop scoring. He's in on the four check, Tim. This is a well-coached team. It's a very disciplined team. They're winning me over. They scored five goals last night. 11 guys had points. Every single line was accounted for on the score sheet, which is remarkable to me. I'm just saying it. I played for 10 years. Usually when you look at the box score, two lines put up points, maybe three. It's very rare when you look at the score sheet, all four lines all three D pairings were accounted for in that score sheet. That's balance. That's an even attack. That's everybody's pulling on the rope. And that's exactly who the Seattle Kraken are. They are the epitome of a team. That's it. They go out there and they all work the same way and they work their tails off. Dallas Stars are good. I don't know how this series is going to shake out, but after game one, I. Man, Seattle. And then Grubauer played great, too. It's going to be a good series. No longer am I dumping on the Western Conference. I feel like this is this is going to be a fun series. Remember Monday or last week, I was like, I'm not going to watch that. I watched it. It was great hockey. It was very entertaining. The stars were humming. Seattle comes back, kicks them in the teeth. Dallas comes back. We go to. It was a great game. It was a very fun game to watch. What did you think of this game, Tim? I want to go back to Pavelski for a second. So he's, he misses basically the entire first round. Comes back, scores four goals in his return. He's the oldest player at 38 years, 295 days in NHL history, postseason or regular season, to score a four-goal game. And a great quote from uh, Peter DeBoer, the Dallas coach. He said, epic, epic return. Shame we wasted it and didn't win. That's on our group because he did he more than did his part. He tried to drag us to a win here tonight. Just some uncharacteristic mistakes, two face-off goals, essentially off-missed assignments. Just didn't play hard enough. Now. <laughs> it does ring similar to the other what's happened in the other game last night. You've got an underdog team who's playing a very simple game, who doesn't try to do too much. It creates a lot of frustrating 
uh, scenarios for on the ice for the for a team that's supposed to be a heavy favorite. When you look at like the 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 highest point producers, when you look at like the skill, the highest paid players, everything is slanted toward Dallas. The goalie slanted toward Dallas, and yet the team, like you said, like they're all rowing in the same direction. They're totally in sync. There's no ego. I mean, you have like Jordan Eberle laying hits and like. He's a skill guy, you know what I mean? But like, and you can have a, a Bjorkstrand score a big goal with, with not his MO, but they just, it just works. And so, yeah, I, man, who do you think would be a better, a better chance of making it to the finals, them or Florida? Oof. Florida. I, <laughs> for as much as I just talked about how great they are, I, I still, yeah, I still can't. You need that you, you, for as nice it is, as it is for all the guys playing the same way and everybody trying their hardest. There is something to be said for just saying, I can put out arguably the best player in the world right now, Matthew Kachuk. The way he's playing, I can just put him on the ice. Who can you match up against him? You can't. There's something to be said about that. You know, I don't know. Seattle's great, but they are the worst team in the playoffs right now. Maybe Carolina just because of their injuries, but Carolina is very good. So I don't know. I, I, I can't do it just yet. I, I really can't do it. Anything else on this, Tim? Uh, no, there's some other things I want to touch on though, before we. Move yeah. On. Yeah. Well, actually, as we move on game seven of Rangers versus devils, great game. Devils just had it from the very beginning. Rangers, again, similar to the Bruins, very uncharacteristically, just not themselves. Didn't look like they had a lot of energy. Didn't look like they were bringing their game. And maybe it was just the Devils bringing that out of them. But the big thing from that hit, from that game, was the hit. Jacob Truba on Timo Meyer. I saw that and my jaw dropped. Because it's just like, you don't see the head being that much the principal point of contact so clearly and so dangerously, right? And yet... It's a fine hit. Yeah, well, that's what people are talking about. I thought for sure, like, he would have thought he would have got a suspension or something. But everyone said, and I guess I'm reading more about it, it's a legal hit. And yeah. by every definition, it's a legal hit. It's it's on Timo Meyer not to have his head down, right? Because even though Truba got his head, he was straight at him. He didn't clip his head or anything, yeah. right? But does legal equal clean? Like, Yeah, that's that exactly what it means, yeah. Should that be a legal hit? Yeah. He, he could have broken his neck. Could have. Who who's the onus on? You're in the middle of the ice. You're carrying the puck. You still have the puck as you're getting hit. I don't I don't know what else Truba could do. Just go up and say boo or tickle him <laughs> or just bump into him. It's the playoffs, it's game seven. You're gonna hit the guy. You're not gonna let up. They're on the devils are on a power play. Timo Meyer has to be more aware. Like you're crossing into the offensive zone. And you have one of the most lethal hitters on the ice coming straight at you. You should have the wherewithal to know, just chip behind him and get out of the way. Like, I don't know what he was doing. It was a one-on-three. It was a perfect situation for Truba to take a chance there and step up. And he buried him. Absolutely buried him. Clean hit. Meyer should be ashamed of himself. The best part of the hit was Timo Meyer's glove. Just all of a sudden yard sailing, going straight up in the air and just flops down on the ice and then Jack Hughes is just like looking around. Should someone blow the whistle? My guy just got murdered on the ice. So I don't know what to do because he's not jumping Truba. No one is because it's a power play. And he's just standing there. Any Anybody? And finally, the ref thankfully blows the whistle because Timo Meyer is just absolutely pasted to the ice. It was a perfect hit. 
So yeah, one of the listeners sent a message asking if I thought that hit was worse, or maybe sorry, he he the way that he worded it was like who was uh more caught with their head down, him or or Ronick with that hit from Reeves back in like January when he was looking mm-hmm. up in the stands. I said this one only because when True was on the ice, you gotta know. You've gotta know. If you got the puck, you have to know where Jacob Truba is. Um and this one it just seemed worse, although maybe it was close. They were both pretty devastating hits. So I would go with that one though. See, I blame Timo Meyer. If anything else, you you have to be aware of where you are on the ice. Ronick, I could see he didn't really know where the puck was. He was trying to see if it was an offside. There was a lot of you know different stories going around, and he just got buried. Meyer has the puck, and he's entering the offensive zone on a power play. Like, figure it out, man. Get your head up. It's it's a bizarre play. It was a beautiful hit. I wish the Rangers would have used that. Came back and won the game, but they just couldn't get out of their own way. Devils looked great. Well, you were happy. You were happy. I was happy. I was happy. Um, the Rangers, a lot of criticism right now. And Truba had a quote this morning I didn't love. But he basically said, I don't really think it's on us. I think the Devils just played really well. They're one of the best teams uh, in the league. He did not. Did yeah. He didn't. This is the uh, captain. He said they're one of the best teams in the league and they played like uh, Man, you know who's yeah. having great quotes out there is Jack Hughes. He says everything right. I'm I, I feel like I'm just drinking the Tim Kool Aid. I like Samson off. I'm liking the Kraken. Welcome to the I like side. Jack Hughes. I like Jack Hughes. He's he's taking full accountability for everything that he does. He's not passing the buck. What did Truba say? I, I haven't heard this. Here's a quote. Uh, Wyshynski tweeted out two hours ago. I don't think this is all on us. I think you have to give them a lot of credit. They're one of the best teams in the league this year. Thought they played like it. I guess. That's just loser talk. It is. From the captain. It's absolute loser talk. We didn't do anything bad. They just played really good. Oh, yeah? Is that so? Jacob. Why do you say that? I don't know. Let's talk about a specific, for example. Alexis Lafreniere. Played all seven games, zero goals, zero assists, zero points, plus minus was zero, zero penalty minutes, and he had nine shots on goal in seven games, which is the only evidence that he actually played in any of them. What do you do? I mean, we have spent a lot of time talking about him and Capucaco. How how much longer can you wait for him to show up? This is this was that was that was I was shocked when I saw that. Because I was like frustrated with the guy like Campus Lindholm with had zero points, but he's a defenseman. That sucks too, but this is not as bad as what Lafreniere just did or didn't do, I should say. What do you think about that? You got to get rid of him. He plays almost, he played, past tense, he played almost 15 minutes a game. This isn't a guy who is getting John Scott minutes, you know, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Even I would have thrown up a minus. <laughs> something to show that I was out there. He did nothing, not a PIM, not a nothing, Tim, absolutely nothing. His time has come. You have to, you have to dump him, right? There's no reason he should be on this team next year. Well, he was given every opportunity. He's going to be an RFA this year, correct? Yeah. He's 21 years old. This, this past year was the final year of his entry level contract. What's he worth? It's impossible to measure too, because like, do you? Everyone has been giving money based on potential and long term, and guys his age who have done just a little bit 
the Matt Boldies of the world getting eight schmill dollars at eight million eight years or whatever. Like, yep. So no one's going to do that with Lafreniere. I'm not saying they should, but at the same time, he's not going to take a, what he's worth right now, which is about a million dollars, maybe. Like, he's not even worth that if we're being honest. So where does it? Where, where well, does it let's uh, like he he got forty points. He got thirty nine points this year. He got sixteen goals. He had nineteen last. So he he's worth more than a million. So let's just not get out of hand here. The thing with him is his expectations are so high and he's still riding on that first overall pick ticket. So that's the expectations. The Rangers are going to have, whether they trade him, they're going to want a return of a first rounder because someone will see Alex Lafreniere, see his junior stats, watch some highlights in the NHL. Cause he has shown flashes. He's six, one, probably 200 pounds. Like he has a man's body. So people would want that. The Rangers are going to want a first rounder in return. He's still very young. He's 21 years old. It's so hard to give up on a guy like this. It's it's very difficult. We saw the same thing with the nail Yakupov. Number one overall pick, showed flashes. I don't know Lafreniere's work ethic. Yakupov's was lacking, to say the least, where he didn't want to put the work in. I don't know anything about Lafreniere, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I do, but... After three years, you you have to be frustrated. I think, if anything, if I'm Chris Drury, I'm offering him a three or four year contract for like two or three million dollars. Get him to his UFA year, compromise with that, say, we'll give you a deal. We'll overpay you a little bit. We'll get you to your UFA and then we can re- revisit it and see where we're at. But right now, you can't trust this guy. You, you can't give him big money. A, you don't have big money, and B, he hasn't earned it. But there's always that little carrot. It's like, man, he could be good, right? You you see him in practice. You watch him all the time. You see him in games. You see the potential. So I, I want to say give up on him as a fan and a player. He's like, gosh, go. You suck. Get out of here. As a GM. As a business person, you you have to keep him. You have him under your control. You re-sign him for three years, four years, two, two and a half. They gave Capo Caco 2.1. Is is that the same direction they're going to go with Lafreniere? I, I don't see why that wouldn't be the direction. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, he totally, he stunk. <laughs> he didn't even stink. He just was non-existent, which is worse. His shooting percentage in his career is 15.1%. So it's not like he's creating chances and, and not getting it. What was it in the playoffs? Um, pull it up. <laughs> well, zero. This year, zero. Last year, <laughs> last year was six. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't envy that, Drury. That's, that's a tough decision. And I'm sure he's going to want money. So, Well, his agent's going to ask for an eight-year, six million. Or in that range, like they're like you said, they're going to want Matt Boldy type contracts, Tage Thompson's, Dylan Cousins, those type of contracts. Maybe they'll get it. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see, Tim. All right. Another another person who did not have a good year, didn't have any playoffs at all. Daryl Sutter. Fired. Gone. Out of Calgary. Very strange timing with this. Waited until... The first round was relatively over to to ax him. I don't know what the the weight was over, but he's gone. Daryl Sutter out in Calgary. Jonathan Huberto could not be happy, happier. 
Very classy move by him. Waited until he was fired. Then he just threw him under the bus. We'll always love that when a player is just super confident and waits till the coach is out of his life before he starts trashing him. It's just a classy thing to do. It just shows you how big of a coward you are. This is Jonathan Huberto quoting after the after the firing of Daryl Sutter. It didn't really click between me and Daryl last year. There were a lot of factors. There was a big difference in points between my last two years and the style of play he wanted to play. It didn't fit my style of game. End quote. Not my fault. Not my fault. I didn't do well this year. It's coach's fault. Coach sucks. I'm going to be great. Huberto better show up next year after that quote. That just that stuff drives me nuts. You're a hockey player. You're supposed to be able to play in any conditions. You don't say, I have to have this, this, and this, and this for me to produce. You go out there and you play the game. It's such a dumb quote by Jonathan Huberto. Just admit, this year was a train wreck and I stunk. Yes, Daryl Sutter wanted me to play a little more defensively. Does that mean he said, hey, Jonathan, don't go in the offensive zone? Don't try to score? Don't score a goal the first 25 games, Jonathan. Please don't. Don't, don't. This is a cowardice quote, and I want everyone to know that. It's a gutless quote. I don't care how bad Daryl Sutter was. You have the balls to say this. You say it during the season. You say it when, you know, he's in the room with you, you coward. I can't stand this. This stuff bothers me. It's like, I told Torts right to his face where to shove it. When when he sent me down to skate with the Black Aces, I went right in his office. And we had an old-fashioned F you off. And the, uh, the guys on the team were like, whoa, that got heated. I'm like, yeah, it did. Because we're both men. We're not chickens who just, saw, as soon as they turn around, I talk behind his back like a little schoolgirl. Me, 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 me. You, you, you can't do it. You, you, you lose all respect, Jonathan Huberto. You lost me. It makes me think of uh, that scene from Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson, who you're a lot like, I think, he like makes all these complaints to people and he writes them up on his typewriter and he signs them with his name and address at the end of it. Nothing anonymous, nothing like, do I have a problem with it? Come talk to me. You know, and then I mean? the like, yogurt I, guy did, right? <laughs> probably. But he stands by what he says and he puts his name on it. So, yeah, yeah, going back, I was going to ask about Torts, actually. Could you ever picture like a guy like Gabaric, who was a skill guy who did not want to play a defensive game, saying anything like that in the press about Torts? No, I, I, I can't because Torts or Brad Richards or anybody else who was a skill guy on that team, they would have the, I don't want to say manliness or just because women do it too. It's just they would have the character and virtue to say it to his face. I respect nobody who will talk behind someone's back and not have the guts to say it to their face when they're in the room. Huberto's not going to see Daryl Sutter again. Sutter's going to go to the farm and count his money, and Huberto's going to play hockey. Like they'll never cross paths again. It's just stuff like that bothers me. Take accountability, man. You stunk last year. The biggest points drop from one year to the next, Jonathan Huberto. He'll go down in the history books. What was like a 60 point difference? 115 to 63, something like that. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of points. Yeah. And just, I I didn't like it. 
I want to read another quote. Remember when, um, I forget when the season was, somewhere in the middle, when they had a kid make his NHL debut, last name Pelletier, and um, Sarder was asked about his debut after the game, what he thought about the rookie, you know, his first NHL game. And he goes, who is he? What number is he again? And it's like a funny moment, but also like people were not happy with it. Not just Flames fans or players or whatever. Like it was just like, this is the kid that's making his debut and you're kind of dumping on him. In, in, in an embarrassing way, you know what I mean? And so Huberto was asked about that too. And as a couple other players had similar quotes, we're going to read his. He said, quote, we were all disappointed, especially for a young kid who comes in and doesn't need that as a young player. He just wants to play well for himself and the team. In the media, we were all pretty surprised. We were saying, that's Daryl. Now, this is not surprising. It's not surprising that, A, he said it, I guess, in the first place. It's not surprising that the players didn't really like it because they're, they were that young player once, and they don't, they don't want that like negativity coming, in, especially in a public fashion. And it's also not surprising that the players the entire season were just saying, rolling, giving themselves, like, you know this was happening, like, in the room, in the media room, the video room, whatever, giving themselves little sideways glances. When, when Sutter says something, they're just giving them that little bit, that's, that's Daryl. Here we go again. Typical, typical Daryl. What do you think about that whole quote? That whole quote. Well, I agree with him. It was the wrong thing to do. Like he, you're, and Daryl. Maybe that's a sense of humor. Humor where he's just, uh, what's what's the kid's name? I, I didn't see the interview. Maybe the press laughed. I don't know. So I agree with Huberto. That's a really junky thing to do. But again, like have that same energy when he's in the room. If you didn't agree with it, go to his office and say, "Hey, Daryl, that was pretty crappy. What you did to this young kid? It's his first NHL game." And he's prompted to answer the question. I know reporters are asking him, but just whatever. It was both wrong. Sutter should have said something nice about the kid saying, yeah, first NHL game. Very exciting. And Huberto, if he didn't like it, he should have brought it up to Sutter the next day at, at the morning skate or the practice or whatever it was. Just say, come on, man. Like it's his first game. So has Sutter coached his last NHL team? I hope so. Just go and count your money. This is the thing. Why would he bother? He's won Stanley Cups. He's won Coaches of the Year. He's played. He's coached the Flames twice or three times now. Like, just go. Go milk your cows and, you know, have fun. Count your money. The guy's made more money than he can ever spend. But that doesn't mean happiness. Maybe coaching is the only thing that, you know, makes him happy. I don't know. But I, I don't think another team will touch him. I think that was it. He he walked into a situation in Calgary that had Stanley Cup aspirations and he completely sunk them. <laughs> so I don't he'll know why you'd hire him. He'll sign next year with some team as a senior advisor to coaching yeah. analytics and cash 300K and whatever. Yeah. It's the old boys club. That's how they do it. I'm trying to get in that club. <laughs> They're not letting me in just yet. Me too. Um, I saw a cool stat too that I think Butchikov tweeted out, and so the eight teams that are left, there's a major gap. Like it's 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 not just the Boston and and uh, Tampa's of the world who were out. Of these eight teams, it's been a long time since any of them have done anything. So the most recent Cup final appearance was Vegas in 2018, but they've never won. Devils in 2012, but they haven't won since 2003. Toronto 67, obviously. Edmonton 1990. Dallas 1999. Carolina won in 2006. Seattle's never been there, obviously. Panthers never been there. So there's a nice, like, there's going to be a team in a city and a franchise that's won either for the first time or for the first time in a long time. I think that's pretty cool. Didn't the Panthers win the Cup? Didn't they make the Stanley Cup? Like a surprise run? When? 
Like with Ed Jovanovsky and John Van Beesbrook and all those guys. Like late 90s? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they won the Stanley Cup. Where'd you get this information? Twitter. Internet. I don't think they ever won the Cup. The Panthers appeared in the Stanley Cup Finals in 1996. They have won zero. Okay. Who do they lose to? uh, It doesn't say. But they made it in 1996. That's good. Hold on. Let me see. We're at 96. They lost uh, in the Stanley Cup Final to Detroit. First round, they beat the Bruins. Ouch. Second round, they beat the Flyers. They Oh, Ray Bork. <clears throat> Colorado Avalanche. 96? Well, they, they lost to the Avalanche in 96. I don't know if Bork was on the team. No, that was all one that he did that. Okay. So, Joe Sackett, is that better? Patrick Waugh? <laughs> Adam Foote, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alex Tangay. Heard of him? Who else is on that team? I don't know. Rob Blake, was that before he was there? I don't know. Mike Ricci? We should get him on the show. He's got a face that you'd love to just punch. You would love uh, to punch. Most people don't think that way. He was my skills coach with the Sharks. Nice guy. <laughs> great guy. Yeah, great guy. Just, again, one of those guys who just cashed a check and didn't teach us anything. <laughs> just kind of gathered pucks and would, like, set up one-timers and shoot for Pavelski, who, by the way, is the best tipper in NHL history. Not at the restaurants in front of the Nets. All right. Anything else, Tim? No, we got some voicemails, but we can save them for Friday. All right. Who do you got tonight, Tim? We've already seen the Leafs. We've already seen the Kraken. We've seen those two games. We got Devils, Hurricanes, and Oilers and Knights tonight. Who are you taking, Timbo? Uh, the two teams I picked to win this series, so Devils and Oilers. Although um, a lot of people are picking Vegas, but Mark Stone left practice early yesterday. He was limping a little bit. Could be, I don't know, and you haven't read any reports about whether he'll play tonight or not. Timo Meyer is a game-time decision. He practiced with a full shield. His, his nose is all busted up, but he might play tonight. Does it even matter if he plays? Yep. Because you talk about stats. We talked about Alex Lafreniere. Timo Meyer. The bell of the ball when it came to the deadline, right? Everybody wanted him. He was the guy. What do you think his stats were? First drop. I know he had zero, 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 right? But he was a minus three. Oh, so better than Lafreniere. He did better than, no worse. Well, Lafreniere was even. So we we, we beg on Lafreniere. Meyer was zero goals, zero assists, zero points, dash three. He had 20 pims though somehow. Do you get kicked out of a game? I don't know. I don't remember. The guy's a goon. He's an absolute just liability out there. Get him off the ice. All right, everybody. I'm going to get off the podcast. This will be the last one for the week. I'm uh, taking a little road trip on Friday with the kids for the weekend. We're doing a little tenting. So Tim's just hearing about it now. He's like, what the (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. So, yeah, we'll talk to everybody Monday. Watch some hockey. Have a good weekend. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 